0: Amen. Hey, Harvest, it's uh, good to be here with you today. I got to. I got to be honest. When um, when Big Harvest up in Chicago pulled us in, and they said, uh, "Hey, um, we're thinking you're going to go spend a month uh, for your internship before you plant with Indie Indie West." I, I had to play it cool, calm, and collected on the outside, but on the inside, Eric and I were doing backflips to be here. And so, uh, we love this church. We love your pastors. I, uh, Tuesday was my first day in the office and uh, Pastor Doug pulled me in. We talked preaching for about two hours and I went skipping through the door that night just after that conversation. Do you guys realize the gift that that man has? I mean, seriously. To just, we just sat and studied the word and in two hours, He had me more in love with this passage that I'd been studying for like ten hours on my own. So you just you just have such a gift in him. Your whole staff. And it's just unbelievable to be here for a month with you all and we're so excited for it but if you have your bibles get to mark chapter 11 we're just going to continue on mark chapter 11 verse 27 is kind of where i'm going to start if you don't have a bible we'd love for you to get one in front of you this morning there's one in the seat in front of you uh page 848 has the passage we're going to be studying this morning together and so i I just hope you'll get there with us but while you're turning there uh, let me ask you this ever been trapped and I, I'm not exactly talking physically trapped, like trapped in a burning building, although if you have, I want to hear the story, but I'm talking, have you ever uh, been trapped in something you said? Ever stepped into a word trap of your own doing? Uh, first word trap of many that would turn out to be many in my life, sixth grade, I had gotten in trouble with my science teacher that morning, and let's just say... Um, I did not agree with her assessment of the situation. And so after lunch, I felt it was my duty to get my buddies together and explain to them the injustices of Mrs. McDermott. so kind of picture a group of like Sandlot type kids all sitting around talking. And I'm like, guys, can you believe Mrs. McDermott? And all of a sudden, all of their faces, that they're sitting here, I'm sitting here, all of their faces, just the color just like washes straight out of them. And their eyes get huge, and I'm so like naive, that's a kind word for it, that I, I can't read this situation, and I just keep going, I'm like, she had no idea what was actually going on in the back of the room today. I cannot believe her. And now the color has rushed back into their face. They're bright red, so embarrassed, won't even look at me, shifting in their seats. And I'm, I'm still, I'm just pressing forward here. And I'm like, God, I cannot wait till this year is over, till I'm done with that class and we are on to seventh grade. And now they are staring at me eyes huge, trying to like telepathically get me a message that I'm just not getting. And all of a sudden, as I'm like, something's not right here, I just feel a hand on the shoulder from behind me. And a nice little voice that just says, oh, oh really, Brock? (laughs) Whose voice was that? Mrs. McDermott. And I just remember in that moment, like turning around, just like, seriously, and then look, after she left, looking back at them and be like, you are all so dead in gym class dodgeball today. You're going down, trapped, totally trapped. Ever been there? Told your boss you'd go out, of, uh, go out of town for a business trip one week and only to go back to your desk, put it in your calendar and realize it's the same weekend you told your son you'd take him to the game. Trapped. Or uh, in a moment of just like total loss of composure, said something to someone you kind of always wanted to say but knew you probably never should. And it's like the moment the words leave your lips, you're reaching after them like, come back, trapped. Know what I'm talking about? If you do, that kind of sets the table for the scene we're stepping into today. This is the day after Jesus has just totally ransacked the temple area. Flipping tables, cleansing it, calling out the leaders. And it was like when Jesus stepped into the temple area and started flipping tables, it was kind of like the flipping point for the religious leaders. They're like, we're done with him. Something's got to happen here. And so uh, what we're going to study in these next two weeks are the religious leaders' attempts to come and to trap Jesus in his words. And now there's something we got to realize. Jesus can't really relate to us in being trapped in his words. He's like the Son of God. That's a hard thing to do. And yet they're going to come today And they're going to send more and more people after they realize that this guy will not step into one of their traps. And now I just want to pause before we jump in and say something. That Pastor Doug has been teaching over the last couple weeks. That the huge events going on, like the triumphal entry, and like the cleansing of the temple. These are intentional actions on our Savior's part. To force the religious leader's hand. He's pressing the issue here. This was mind-blowing to me. Because for so often, I have looked at the events of Passion Week. And I've said, oh my goodness, I feel so sorry for our helpless victim Savior. I mean, look at what they're doing to him. And it's like, all of a sudden, I'm realizing that's not the case at all. He is not, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is not some helpless victim on Passion Week. He is the sovereign King of Kings in control, forcing the issue, saying, I am the Passover Lamb this week. I am going to the cross. You won't take my life. I am freely and joyfully giving it up to save the world. And in these conversations we're about to see this week and next week, Jesus is going to continue to press that issue. He won't step into the traps, but he is pressing the issue. And so the first trap we want to look at this morning is just what we're calling the authority trap. And the religious leaders are going to come to Jesus. They're going to say, I want you to step into this. And and it's beautiful what he does with it. Mark chapter 11, verse 27 If you're there with me, the word of God says this. It says, and they came, Jesus and his disciples, they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, I just want you to picture that scene. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. Now just pause there and imagine that. Jesus walking back into the temple area the day after he had totally created a huge scene. Remember, not just the religious leaders are in the temple area. There's people everywhere. And so as he walks back in, what do you think's happening? I mean, don't you think people are on the side? They're kind of whispering to them. Hey, that's the guy. Like, that's what guy? That's the guy that just tore this place apart yesterday. And then he called out the religious leaders. It was awesome. Do you think people are kind of clearing the path for him? You can almost imagine all of the the vendors there who'd been selling the animals for sacrifices, they're like packing them back up in the cages going, oh, this ain't happening again today. (laughs) Money changers are sweeping the coins back into the bag going, I'm not picking these off the ground. And I just imagine the day after Jesus cleansed the temple, when he walks back in with his disciples, it was kind of like, what's about to go down here again? I think people took notice. And verse 27 tells us there's one group of people who definitely took notice. It says the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. Uh, Three groups of people listed here. These groups of people would have made up the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin. A 71-member kind of, uh, think of like high court, with total authority over every religious issue. And inevitably in this time, because they had total authority over everything religious, they definitely carried with them some political clout as well. And now I don't think this is all 71 members coming to Jesus and his disciples. I think this is kind of a delegation. So you have a delegation of the Sanhedrin coming towards Jesus. Just picture the scene. Jesus and his disciples on the other side and... I just kind of want us to picture like an old Western showdown about to happen here. Jesus and his disciples this way. Delegation from the Sanhedrin this way. The, the theme music in the background's going wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. Get just glaring at each other. It's a showdown going on here. All the ladies are, like, corralling the kids, like, come on, let's move along. All the men are running to it, yelling, fight, 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 making the circle. Like, what's about to happen here as these two authorities? Earth's authority. And the the king of kings with authority over all heaven and earth are about. Which one do you want to put your money on? Yeah, that's right. Verse 28. Look at what happens here. the chief priests and scribes and the elders and it says and they said to him here's the question by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you this authority to do them now understand something this is a loaded question we just said they have total religious authority over everything that happens And so they're looking at Jesus and they're saying to him, who gave you this authority? The implication is we didn't. And if we didn't give you this authority, you have no authority. Now the trap has just been set. The bait has been placed in it. They are wanting Jesus to give them a direct answer to their question and here's why. They're going, Jesus has to answer this question in one of two ways. If he answers it this way, my, my, the authority is all my own. I am my own authority. Their hope is that this crowd of people standing here, they will hear that. Jesus will lose credibility in their mind. Like, what's, what's he mean he has no authority? That he's doing this all on his own. Because the religious leaders, this text is going to tell us later, they fear these people. And they can't take Jesus out until they have the crowd on their side. And they're hoping, he says, I am my own authority. And so the people will be like, forget this guy. Or they're hoping that he says this, my authority is directly from God the Father. To which they hope to slap the cuffs on him right then going, blasphemy. That's blasphemy. It's over. You're done. The trap is set. The bait is in it. Do you think Jesus takes it? Look at what he does. Verse 29. Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one question. Next two words, what are they? Answer me. And I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Now here's the question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Next two words, what are they? Tell me." answer me notice in these two verses there jesus says that. answer me answer me he has just responded to their question with a question of his own and now in our day when someone does that we say something like hey whoa whoa! i ask you first you to answer me and i'll then i'll get back to you right jesus day pretty common rabbinical tactic here the religious leaders would have been used to this this kind of dialogue I ask a question, you ask a question, we kind of get into this verbal sparring duel, and so they, they, uh, they're going along with this. Now, the question on the surface, as I've always kind of read this and studied it, I'm like, Jesus, are you just kind of throwing like a grenade over in the corner to distract them so you can slip out of this scene? Like, the question seems so unrelated to me on the surface, but I don't think this was a diversion on Jesus' part. I think this was a very intentional question. He's the one who has taken the trap now, and he's turned it back on them, saying, you need to give a direct answer to this question here. And we're going to see the dilemma that the religious leaders have now. Uh, Look at verse uh, 30, verse 31. And they discussed it with one another, saying... Okay, guys, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? Just picture this. Jesus says, hey, guys, tell me, um, John's, John's ministry, of God or of man? And they're like, okay, huddle. And they're like, guys, okay, if we say, if we say it's from God, we got a problem. Because John said his ministry, his ministry was all about preparing the way for the Messiah. It was all, he was the forerunner. And then, guys, here's the problem. One day he looked at this Jesus guy and he said, Yep, that's him. There he is. There's the Lamb who will take away the sin of the world. There's the Messiah. So, guys, we got a problem. If we say his ministry was of the Lord, John said that Jesus was the Messiah. There's the authority answer right there. That's one side of the coin, but look at verse 32. But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. Here's where their fear of man kicks in. They're going, okay, we we get it. We can't say that it was from God. But guys, we can't say it was from man either. Like, look around. See this crowd? They all actually believed John was a prophet. And I don't know about you, but see Big Bubba over there? I'm not saying John wasn't. That dude will clothesline me so fast, guys. What do we do? And I just pictured this huddle scene, and one of them, one of them, just going, "Okay, guys, I got it. This, this is gold. Like this is total. This, this totally takes it out." Is ready, ready. Here, here it is. Let's say I don't know. And all the rest of them are like, "Beautiful." That's it. Look, look see, I'm not making this up. Seriously. Some of the smartest people in the day, here's what they came up with, verse 33. So they answered Jesus, um, we do not know. Can you imagine that? <laughs> just imagine, like, picture that for a second. I love Jesus' reply here. And Jesus said to them, okay, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's just camp there for a second. Why didn't he just tell them? Why didn't he just say, hey, guys, you want to know what authority? I'm, I'm, uh, I have all authority over heaven and earth. And frankly, I'm not even interested in your little verbal sparring right here. not even interested in your little trap and bait that you have sitting there. That Jesus, I don't, I don't think this question the religious leaders have raised is wrong in itself. Hey, Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? All throughout his ministry, when people have asked him t- tough questions, and here's the key, with a, with a sincere heart motive, Jesus has given a straight answer to it. But there's the issue. The question is not wrong. The motive behind the question is wrong. Jesus knows something about these religious leaders. That their heart all along is simply this. To question the authority of Jesus with no desire of actually surrendering to the authority of Jesus. There's the heart. Question, question, question. Jesus knows their motive. It's to trap. It's to to disguise their heart. And Jesus simply asks the question back to them. Not, Not, I don't think, unlovingly. But to lovingly expose their hypocrisy and expose their heart, kind of one last-ditch effort for them to see their hypocrisy, see their sin, and turn to the death that they, will, that they will carry out later in the week to find life. But Jesus knows. Guys, I'm not answering your question. Because you're all about questioning my authority with no desire and no intentions of actually surrendering to it. And with that motive on our mind, uh, let me just kind of ask two questions uh, for us sitting here. And the first question I just want to raise is for a group of people in here that, that we're, we're believers. Jesus followers. How do we handle, what do we do with people in our lives who just want to question, 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 antagonize, antagonize, antagonize the authority of Jesus with no desires or intentions to ever actually surrender to it at that point in their life? How do we handle those people? And while you're thinking about that, let me, let me tell you this. I had heard a, um, an atheist was going to speak against... Uh, Christianity and the Christian faith at a local college, and so I was like, I'm going to that. And I remember sitting in the audience, and um, this guy was just like, out outrageous. I mean, the attacks against our faith just downright like crude comments about Christians. He was just kind of throwing traps out in the audience, wanting and waiting for whatever Christians were there to step into it so the verbal battle could go. And guess who was lined up first to step into a trap? Let's call me young naive Christian, okay? I'm sitting there listening to him, and my blood my blood is just like boiling. And I'm kind of like sizing him up, rolling up the sleeves, going, okay, like, if the verbal duel goes south, I think I can take him out back. I think I can get him. And all the while, like, I am just, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to jump into this thing. I'm honestly probably ready to make a fool of myself and not represent my Savior very well. And right before I jump into some debate back and forth before this whole lecture hall, There was another Christian in the room. Let's call him wiser, more mature, more loving Christian. And he just started asking questions. Like respectfully. Like calmly. Like lovingly. Here's me on one side of the room going... I will break you. <laughs> Here's this guy on the other side of the room, and it actually sounded like he actually loved this guy, calling out and criticizing everything about his faith. And so I just remember uh, that dialogue happening, and then the the debate ended. And uh, I was up front, and an older, wiser, more mature Christian was having a discussion with this guy. And here's this atheist who at some point in his past had been burned so bad by something in the church. It was just so evident. And he looked at older, wiser, more mature Christian, and he said, Hey, you know what? Um, I speak at things like this a lot. And inevitably, there's always a Christian there. And inevitably, we always start dialoguing back and forth. He said, you know, no Christian has ever talked to me with the respect and love that you did today. And I just want to thank you for that. And it was like in that moment, as I'm hearing this conversation going on, the Lord just impressing on my heart, Brock, will you love the people that hate me? Because I do. I love them, And I think Jesus' heart, even in this interaction with the religious leaders here, it's not to make a mockery of them. It's not to make them look foolish. His heart is to draw out their heart motives, expose their hypocrisy that they might see their need for him that all of this was motivated out of love. And I just kind of stopped there and I watch how Jesus handles these religious leaders and I go, how are we gonna handle the family member who just kind of throws the little comments out? The person at work who is frankly just overly obnoxious about what I believe. The kids at school who in the corner just kind of make fun of the way I live the people we watch on TV, blasting our faith that you just kind of sit there and your blood starts to boil. Oh Lord, would you give us love for these people? Would we lovingly share the gospel with them? And would we lovingly, yes, defend the truth? Yes, right? But motivated by love and a heart for them. Oh Lord, would you allow us to hit our knees in prayer for these people? Because here's the thing. It is so easy to step into the traps of these people and start the duel back and forth. But would we never, never, never believers? And trust me, I'm preaching to me. I have this little competitive streak that wants to win everything. Would we never, never, never bruise the fruit that's not ready to be picked yet? You know what I'm saying? And I just watch how Jesus handles this and it's like, yes, God, more of that. And dealing with people who are questioning your authority with no desire of surrendering to it. So that's for us believers. But maybe you're here. And you know, this is just, maybe this is just kind of quietly going on, right even in your own heart, and no one even knows this. Maybe you're here, and you're kind of questioning this whole thing. Someone makes you be here? For some reason, you walked in here today, and you're kind of questioning all this going, yeah, I'm not sure on this Jesus stuff. And frankly, I'm not sure I'll ever be ready to surrender to this Jesus stuff. Can we just say this to you this morning? We are so glad you are here. We mean that. And would you just keep coming? And would you just keep sitting? And would you just keep listening? But would you do so now? Would you just take a baby step with us today? To go, you know what? It is time that I at least start to investigate this stuff with some, with some actual intentions. Because I just look at this and I love how Jesus handles this situation and he comes back to the religious leaders' questions with a question of his own and they're like, we're not answering that. And he says, okay, neither will I because your intentions are all about questioning my authority with no heart to surrender to it. But here's the thing. Even though Jesus won't answer their question. He's got got something he wants to say to him. And this doesn't end the dialogue. The authority question isn't over. That Jesus is going to jump into a parable here. And in this parable, he's going to make a powerful point back to these religious authorities standing before him. And I I just want to kind of set the stage for this parable because in it, Jesus is going to use a picture of a vineyard um, and kind of when we hear uh, about a vineyard, we kind of have in our mind, uh, watching a movie, picturing California vineyard type thing. I want I want us to see a picture of what a vineyard would have looked like in Israel. Uh, we were just there last spring. It was so awesome. And as you drive through the roads, there's vineyards like this all over the hillsides. So uh, there's places in every hillside that have just been leveled out, fields are planted, the vineyards there, the rock walls are built around it, the watchtower is there, you can see all of this. And as we read this parable, I just want you to have this image in your mind because as Jesus talks and teaches in parables, the hearers, they're visualizing what he's saying. And so I want us to see this as well. I also, I want us to understand kind of the players or the characters in this parable. Because it's very clear what Jesus is saying here. So there's, uh, there's all these characters in the parable. The vineyard owner is God the Father. The vineyard is Israel. All, th- all over the place in the book of Isaiah, you see this imagery of Israel being a vineyard. Jesus is going to pull that out here. The tenants are the religious leaders. The servants, the faithful prophets, and then the beloved son, Jesus. So let's read this parable with this understanding and this picture in our mind. uh, Chapter 12, verse 1. It says, and he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. A pretty common practice, the hearers would have all understood this. Absentee landowners, wealthy people, buy a property, get a, get a vineyard going, get a farm going, hire people to run it, and come back each harvest for a share of the crop. The people would have got this. Uh, verse 2, when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent, to, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed, and so with many others. Some they beat, and some they killed. Now just stop there and realize this. That all throughout history, these servants spoken of, the faithful prophets. Oh, as you read through the Old Testament, as you look at history, uh, uh, this happens over and over again. Rejected, beaten, killed. The faithful prophets sent by God all through history. Rejected, beaten, killed. Rejected, beaten, killed. And, it, and in this parable says here, the landowner, he sends their servants. The tenants do these things. But verse 6 is so beautiful. He had still one another. Still, he had still one another what's it say? Say it all on. A beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of Just kind of sit and feel the heaviness of that point right there. Remember the old Western showdown. Jesus and his disciples here, the religious leaders looking back at them. And Jesus is basically making the point hey, guys, all through history, earthly authorities have beaten, rejected, and killed prophets sent by God. But you, tenants, you guys, Will be the ones that don't kill a servant. You'll be the ones who kill the beloved son. And he just calls them out right here. And now he asks a question. Verse 9 What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? And Jesus is going to quote from Psalm 118 here, kind of changing the picture, but the point staying consistent. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Hey, religious leaders, you're rejecting me. The beloved son, the cornerstone the hope of all the world. And in doing this, here's a big point for us today, that their rejection of the beloved son's authority is ultimately rejection of the loving father's authority. The son is sent on behalf of the father and to reject the son is to reject the father and to use Jesus' own words here. And I get that this is heavy, 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 but we're not gonna stay here long. But to use the word of Jesus in verse nine, that rejection of the son leads to this, leads to being destroyed. Rejection of the son leads to death. Surrender and acceptance through faith leads to life. And I just wonder right now if there's someone in here who's going, man, I've I've never accepted this beloved son. Like I'm seeing right now, the beloved son is the one who came to the vineyard, who came to this earth to sacrifice on a cross for my sin, and I've rejected it. And my hope today is that today would be the day you, between you and the Lord, would just right now even say, Lord, I accept it today. I accept the sacrifice of the beloved son on my behalf today. Don't reject the cornerstone anymore. Don't reject the beloved son. In verse 12, it goes on here and it says this about the religious leaders. It says, and they were seeking to arrest him. They're like, he's got to go. But here it is again. But feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. Pretty perceptive, right? (laughs) I think they got it. For they had perceived that he had told the parable against them, so they left him and went away. Do you think they stay away? You think their plan's done? Three more traps coming next week to try to get Jesus to say something that they can end this with. But can, can we just camp here for a second? This is Wednesday of Passion Week. And Friday's coming. They're not done here. But before we just kind of close our time with a time of worship, I I want us to dwell on something here today. And it's a point we made at the outset. That um, the beloved son went to the vineyard on his own accord. The beloved son did not have to be coaxed by the landowner, by the father to go to the vineyard. That Jesus did not have to be forced to come to this earth and to die on a cross. And that Jesus is not the helpless victim during Passion Week to be pitied. Jesus is the King of kings who does not, give, does not lose his life but gives it up on our behalf. Amen? He is in full sovereign control. And as I just dwelt on this this week, that so often, Lord, forgive me, so often I had looked at the Passion Week and the events of it saying, you are totally out of control and all these things happened to you. No, Lord, you are the one in complete control doing this for our behalf. And though Passion Week has some moments as we study it where there is this attitude of just kind of being somber, and reflecting on what our Savior gave up for us. And my hope as we close with a time of worship is not that. My hope for us is this. That's our Savior. You can't trap him. He'll turn your trap right back on you. You can't take his life. He freely and joyfully gives it up. You can't corral him. You can't cage him. You have no control over him. He is sovereignly in control of all. Amen. Amen. And I just love as this week continues. And the religious leaders bring our savior to the cross. They think they had just finally got him in the trap of all traps. They think they had finally won they think they had finally caught their prize. But that trap was all consistently set up by a loving God the Father, who three days later, that son would rise again back to life. He had won the victory over it, the trap had not taken him. He was sovereignly in control. Of each of these events. Amen. And I just I just want to do this. Would you stand with me? I want to pray. And as we just kind of prepare our hearts to worship as we close here, I just I want us to dwell on the fact that our Savior is the untrappable Savior. Amen. The uncontainable Savior. The uncontrollable Savior the one sovereign over all in complete control here. So let's pray together and then let's worship the Lord. Lord, thank you. Lord, you did not lose your life. Lord, you're not a victim. Lord, you're not someone who had no control over the events of Passion Week. Lord, you gave up your life on our behalf. That in your death on the cross and your resurrection from the tomb, Lord, we might find life in you. Lord, I pray right now for anyone here that your spirit would be so tugging at their heart if they've never surrendered to that fact. Lord, today is the day. Lord, we know that's something only you do in the hearts of the people right here. Lord, do it. We pray that right now. And Lord, I pray that right now for us believers who've known you, who know you, who uh, have found life in you, that this time right here as we sing, Lord, this would be more than a song. This would be a declaration that you're the one who's won the victory. You are the one who is in complete sovereign control. Lord, And we celebrate the Savior that you are as we read through the events of Passion Week here. Lord, would this be a time of celebration for who you are and what you've done? And Lord, would we, as we leave here, live accordingly to that? And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.